Mispronounced is uh, Beatrice. <laughs> Beatrice. <laughs> okay, um, I'm not even going to try it. From um, <laughs> from Rome, right? But B is fine as well. Okay, and you're you're calling from Rome, is that correct? Yes, exactly from Rome. Um, ex- Southern Rome. Okay, actually. Southern That's Rome. That's specific. Okay, sorry. From Southern Rome. Um, and you work in the humanitarian field, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't like to call it that way, but yeah, I guess. Well, how would you how would you call it? How would you represent it? Uh, well, right now I'm unemployed, so I'm not working. Mm-hmm. Let's start with that. I think um, a lot of people are. <laughs> like a lot of people are, yeah. Um, I've been working in the migration field more specifically with uh, asylum seekers and beneficiaries of international protection for refugees, let's say. Mm-hmm. So in the protection sector, which is the legal aspect of, um, yeah, like refugee issues. So, yeah, I guess you can call it humanitarian work, but I just don't like how it sounds and okay. um, what it implies. Well, what does it imply? Um, I don't know, it kind of has some saviorism, I don't know if that's how you say it in English, like, oh, you help people, um, you are like a good humanitarian, and that's not uh, the intention behind my work, and that's not how I see it, that's why I don't like it. Okay, well, I stand corrected. But it's just my opinion. I'm not like a lot of people call it uh, humanitarian work. Okay. It's just that it implies that some people from some parts of, of the world are helping other people from other parts of the world, and that's not how I see it. Gotcha. So on a normal day, um, a normal employed day, what exactly would you be doing? It depended on the the jobs I had or internships I had. I don't have. Uh, a lot of professional experience because um, I finished studying like a year ago but like for example my last job um, I was working in a UN agency mm-hmm. so in the production sector as I said before and I would uh, either most of my work consisted in case management so individual cases um, so I would do I would work at the front desk and basically work as a legal counselor for refugees and asylum seekers, and then uh, also take care of other channels of communication, like emails, uh, the, um, the phone number that refugees can call if they have problems and they need to get in touch with the UNHCR, which is the agency I was working for. Uh, and then it depended on the day... Um, but mostly, let's say, I took part of the legal aspect of um, helping refugees to 
either integrate or to access the international protection procedure in Italy. It's interesting because lately I've been seeing, like, I don't know how far this extends into to Italy, but when this whole thing happened, um, when it spread out of the China, virus. yeah, when the whole virus situation, the pandemic took place and it started in China, mm-hmm. um, there were some people from China, even if they hadn't been there in, in years or never been there, um, they faced a difficult social time, let's say. And now I read recently an article about treatment of uh, of Africans, mistreatment of Africans in China for mm-hmm. fear of carrying and or spreading the, uh, the virus, even though... Which is kind of ironic. Yeah, so um, I guess you working in this field with, you know, refugees, because no one seeks refuge because things are sunny and happy. Um, Do you think that there would be more cases like the ones you're seeing currently in China and what the Chinese themselves were uh, subjected to after the spread, after this pandemic? And uh, do you think that there would be more cases globally like this? Or do you think that what's happening right now in the city in China is just an isolated incident and it'll pass? Uh, no, I think it's definitely a possibility. It, it is already happening, actually. Um, I think this virus is uh, magnifying and exacerbating problems that we already had in our societies. And, for example, let's take the case of Italy. Uh, we were one of the, we are still one of the most affected countries. And, for example, we declare that our ports are unsafe. So that this is means before or during. This happened just a few days ago. Um, and for the people who are not familiar with the context, uh, so Italy is one in the European Union. It is one of the main countries of arrival because of its geographical position. Um, and specifically, Italy is the country of arrival of the central Mediterranean route, which is the deadliest on earth, um, according to the UN, not according to me. Uh, so it's a very dangerous route, and a lot of people die trying to uh, cross the sea. So who are the people who um, try to arrive to Italy? In like the technical um, lingo, they're called um, we call them mixed migration, which means that there are different types of reasons behind their uh, their migration route. But a lot of them are in need of international protection. So, what does it mean to be in need of international protection? I won't get too much into details because uh, it would be too long. But just to sum it up, it, it means uh, that these people are fleeing wars or they are persecuted in their home country. They are persecuted on certain grounds that are uh, specified in international conventions. The most important one is the Refugee Convention of uh, 1951. Uh, But I'll just give an example. For for example, if you are a political opponent, 
in a certain country and you live in a dictatorship, that means you, there's uh, virtually no, uh, no opposition. So you cannot express your political ideas freely and it could, it could happen that you're jailed or killed or tortured just because you express your political opinions, right? So if the state you come from is not willing to protect you because, for example, it's a dictatorship or is not able to protect you in like other situations, then according to international law, you can uh, go to another country and uh, apply for asylum. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that they don't embark in such dangerous journeys because they're bored or they don't know what to do. They are usually fleeing very dangerous and awful situations. And also, um, another thing that I really must um, specify and also highlight, because a lot of people don't know, is that there are little to no legal routes uh, if you come from certain countries. Um, It's not easy to migrate if you come from African countries or the Middle East. And sometimes you're not even in the position to have a passport. Or let's say, for example, you are from a village in, I don't know, Afghanistan. And the militias come and they destroy your village and they kill your family members. And you understand that you have to flee to save yourself. Do you think you can go to the capital um, or like to the main city near you, ask for a passport, wait for the passport to be issued, then ask for a visa, but it's not easy to obtain a visa for countries like the US or you know European visas. So you really have to put yourself in these people's shoes and understand that <laughs> uh, We come from different contexts that is, is sometimes it's impossible to migrate legally either because there's no way to do it or you are not in the position to do it because uh, you, you literally have to save yourself. You have to run, you have to, you have to save yourself. Um, so there are a lot of misconceptions around migration because a lot of people say, oh, but if they resort to smugglers, it means that they have something to hide because if they were uh, normal people, they would migrate uh, legally like the rest of us. But that's a very privileged point of view. It's not that easy. So as I was saying, people who arrive uh, to Italy from Libya come from different parts, usually of Africa, like West Africa or the Horn of Africa, and uh, some even come from the Middle East, and they try to reach Europe from there irregularly because they have no other way to, you know, reach uh, a safe port reach a country that can give them protection. Mm -hmm. They don't want to stay in Italy for the most part. They want to travel up north. They want to go to Germany. They want to go to Sweden. And usually they also have like networks of people there. But because of the Dublin regulations, they usually uh, get stuck in Italy unless they manage somehow to sneak out of the country. Um, so uh, there's been this debate for years 
about um, Italy considering Libya as a safe port. So we basically finance the Libyan Coast Guard and uh, boats that are in distress in between Libya and Italy are taken back by the Libyan Coast Guard, which is funded and trained by the Italian government, and they are taken back to Libya, which is in a civil war. So it's definitely not a safe port. They, according to international law, they cannot uh, be taken back there because it's not safe for them. We know what is going on in Libya. People are tortured, killed. They're uh, held in um, unofficial detention centers. We don't know how many of them there are. But the which, situation is really awful. Which so, people? sorry. I'm sorry. Which people? What do you mean? Which people? You, you, people tortured and killed. Like, um, you, you mean like everyday citizens? Like, which people? No, migrants. Because okay. they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually people that are fleeing wars or like extreme misery. They don't have a lot of money. They're desperate. They, they would do anything to get to a safe place. So, of course, they're in extremely vulnerable positions. Some of them are disabled. Some of them are women. Um, so, so, of course, they're exposed to even more, like, um, let's say, violence or violent behavior. So, and, I don't want to cut you off, but just to clarify mm-hmm. something. Um, you say these people, they, they're migrating. They get into Libya and... Um, the authorities mistreat them? No, okay, so in Libya there's no central government. There there are two main, let's say, governments. Mm -hmm. One is uh, internationally recognized, the one in uh, Tripoli, and the other one uh, is only recognized by a few states. I don't remember which ones. But in general, so there's a civil war in between these two national forces, I don't know how to call them, mm-hmm. um, they are trying to, um, you know, uh, take charge of the whole country. But Libya is a general mess because apart from these two major forces, then there are militias everywhere. So it's a, it's a country with a civil war. There's no central government uh, even the official government is actually, they cannot control the whole territory. So you cannot speak of a Libyan government because okay. it's, it's basically non-existent. So my point is, we know that there's this situation in Libya and yet we call it a safe port of disembarkation for migrants. And just because we, I mean, I understand that there's a national health crisis going on. But we declared Italy as unsafe for migrants when we know that if we either let them drown in the sea, that's a certain death. Like, nothing else can happen. You're going to die because if boats in distress are left in the middle of the, of the Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea, they are going to drown. Mm-hmm. There's, that's the only option. Or we take them back to Libya where we know that they might die observation they are definitely being tortured they will ask the people torturing them ask for um, a ransom that's mm-hmm. how you say it in yeah. english yeah. to families back in the country of origin so if you compare the two situations i don't think they're comparable at all yet they were super quick 
to make this degree that um, established that Italy isn't safe. It's, a, it's, it's not a safe port. Whereas for years, we've been calling Libya a safe port of disembarkation. So it is, what I'm saying is, it is already happening that we fear people that are different. We fear uh, the refugee, we fear the other, we fear the Muslim, we fear we, I mean, I'm using we as A we, general term. white people from Italy or from Europe. Okay. Um, all those problems that were already in our societies, and I'm talking about racism and xenophobia, I think now they're um, exacerbated by this situation of fear because we're becoming, I don't really believe in this rhetoric of solidarity. Yes, mm -hmm. there have been examples of solidarity, but I don't think um, this is making us realize how interconnected we are and how we're just human beings and we all want the same thing. What, what is happening is it's actually the opposite. Instead of saying, oh, okay, now that we're actually in a very difficult situation ourselves, we understand how important it is to help people, to, um, to give them protection. If, if they are in this situation and they're fleeing war, let's help them. Because I understand what fear is, because mm -hmm. I've, I've been having the same feeling. I, I have fear. But instead, we're like, oh, no, we are in this national crisis. We don't have time for refugees. They, they're always coming here. They might uh, go back to their countries. We don't have time for that. We don't have money for that. And but you're blah, talking blah, blah, blah. about the uh, political leaders, not necessarily the, the public. Yeah, the but the political leaders were elected by the population, no. and the population, the general population, is backing them up. Not everyone, of mm -hmm. course. Now, do you think uh, this is, even though this is a new decree, as you said, do you think this is something that um, this is something that political leaders wanted a long time ago, and they're using this as an opportunity to push their agenda forward, or do you think this is just just out of out of the blue, just straight out of fear? Um, I think it is done to uh, tranquilize the public. Tranquilize, like to. Um, I think they are scared that if they let them in, people are already uh, tense. They're nervous. They're uh, they're uh, mad. They're upset. They mm -hmm. are they are uncertain about the future. And I think that right now, showing this solidarity to. A category that has been, you know, um, misunderstood and um, also treated badly for for years, for decades, I would say. Um, now it would be too much. Mm. Um, I think they they are afraid that they would lose the popular. How do you say consenso? Consensus, a popular vote. They they lose exactly. the popularity basically. Exactly. So they're like, okay, now we have to focus on Italian citizens because of this situation. So I think they are afraid to commit a mistake. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't think that they necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily pushing an agenda, not this specific government. Um, but yeah, I think they're just, they're fearing the reaction, the possible reaction. And you're not afraid of letting um, people into the, the country? 
That's not no. something that concerns you. So what does concern you in this situation? Um, I'm concerned about a lot of things. Um, as I said before, I believe that this virus is exacerbating uh, inequalities and problems that we already had. So I'm concerned about the most vulnerable. I'm concerned about not just refugees, but... I'm concerned about women being stuck at home in abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I'm concerned about kids. No one is talking about kids and the psychological effects that this will have on them because they've, they've been stuck home for even longer than us because the schools were closed before the national uh, lockdown. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned about people that worked informal jobs who will not be able to benefit from um, like unemployment um, benefits mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, sorry for the repetition or uh, you know the government aid that is being planned uh, because uh, they don't have they don't have a job and in theory they have been unemployed for years it's just that you know given the informal nature of the italian econ economy a lot of people don't have contracts mm -hmm. so i'm worried about yeah people who will not have money to buy food people that will be evicted from their houses i'm just scared of you know the social distress that this virus is causing and the uh, possible consequences of uh, of this let's go back so to, to the um the fear you have for women from what i understand not that italy is is alone in this but italy has an issue with domestic violence yes um have there been higher reported cases in these in these days or within this past month or do you or is it just it's speculation Okay, so from what I know, but I read some articles a couple of weeks ago, so I don't know if the situation has changed or evolved. But from what I know, it's actually the opposite, because now women are not in the position to actually access services for um, survivors of uh, domestic violence, mm -hmm. because they are stuck at home with their abuser. Yeah. So it's really hard to reach out. And uh, from, I was reading that this, um, I think it was someone working for the national network, uh, because we have a national number mm -hmm. that uh, people, not just women, of course, it's mostly women, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's, I don't know, kids. Um, and she was saying that actually compared to last year, that there was a decrease uh, almost like 50% of calls and requests of assistance because these people, these women cannot actually call anymore because mm. they're afraid that their husband or their abuser might hear them. And it's really hard to get out uh, if you live with someone who wants to control you and manipulate you because, yes, of course, you can still go out to go to the store or if you have a dog, you can walk the dog. But not everyone is able to actually sneak out of the house and seek help. I, also, um, they might be afraid of seeking help because it's not we're not in a normal situation, so it's not like they can disappear uh -huh. from home. Yeah, everything is more difficult. Now, let's 
Okay, let me back up a little bit. I happened to to come across an article where uh, women apparently were writing secret messages on their hands when they went to the pharmacy in France to basically signify I'm in this situation and I need help. Um, I don't know if that's the same thing that's happening in Italy, but let's say it is. And a pharmacist notices it, recognizes it, and let's say they call the police. Is there anything that the police can do under the circumstances? Um, I'm not an expert in this, but I think they should probably call not the police. And, like, you should call the police if you, for example, you're a neighbor and you hear a woman screaming and you understand that she might be in a situation where she's being abused, she might be killed, and so on. But uh, in general, you should refer to this national, it's called Numero Nazionale Contro la Violenza sulle Donne. So it's like a national network of associations and shelters Mm -hmm. that actually help women, both on the legal, like in the legal aspect, in the psychological, psychosocial support. And we also have shelters, but what I know for sure is that there are not enough places for the, um, the demand. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's say in Rome, I don't remember exactly how many places we have, but it's less than 50. And Rome is a 3 million people city. Yeah. So, of course, if, if it's not enough. So... I know that most of them actually cannot get out of the house, so they receive psychological support, and they like the the workers, the social workers, basically guide them through this difficult period, and they uh, give them tools to try somehow to stay safe, even if it's not easy. But yeah, like in that case, I think the pharmacies should call this number, this national number. Man. I don't <laughs> it's a can't call from yeah it's 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 terrible um yes. so switching gears a little bit um for a lot uh, <laughs> <laughs> i uh, i'm curious to know how you're uh, keeping yourself sane during this time i'm actually following online classes because i enrolled in a master's uh, like a couple of months before this happened it was just by coincidence, but in retrospect, it was a good decision. Uh, so I have online classes twice a week, mm-hmm. at least. I work out every day. I follow online dance classes. I read a lot. I don't know. I just keep myself busy, and some days you know, are better than others. Mm-hmm. Are you alone? I'm tr- no, I'm living with my mom. How's that going? <laughs> Okay. I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. We kind of found a balance mm-hmm. recently. Um, we are coexisting, of course. Mm-hmm. At first, it, it was really weird because I'm I'm not used to. I felt like I went back to I don't know, a kind of teenager phase. Yeah, and I don't like certain dynamics between us when we live together but at the same time I'm very grateful that I have family I can count on I have a roof over my head 
and have to worry about having money for food. So that already is a blessing. So I can complain. You've mentioned the things that um, you're afraid are resulting and will result from this. Is there anything that gives you any type of hope? Is there any positivity you can take? Yes. Okay. Okay, so what I believe is that what we call normal, normality, was already a crisis. Mm -hmm. So I think that even though I'm, I'm a pretty pessimistic person, you said pessimistic? Yes. Okay. I think that part of me is hoping for change. What I mean is, we already know that our current economies or our economic system, capitalism, is, is not working for everyone, right? Yeah. So I'm not just talking about inequalities and the fact that, you know, a small percentage of people has most of the wealth. I'm also talking about climate change, um, talking about, you know, pillaging our planet. So I think that this pandemic is just a rehearse of what we might expect in 20, 30, 40 years. I don't know. So it can either be a wake-up call for everyone or we can just ignore it and go back to our ways. What do you think is the most? Go ahead. But at the same time? I forgot because you interrupted me. (laughs) My apologies. You said you hope that we can go back, uh, that either people will um, adhere and acknowledge this change and act accordingly, or they go back to their their old ways. Uh, What do you? What do I think it will happen? Um, It's really hard to predict, and I've been actually asking myself this question: like, what can I do to be part of this change? What can I do to? help build new societies, like sustainable societies, not just in terms of natural resources, but I'm talking also about the redistribution of wealth and, you know, just fighting inequalities in general. Um, It's really hard to predict. Um, And there might be mixed results. There might be some countries or regions of the world that actually wake up and say, okay, this pandemic made things worse and uh, made us realize that, you know, we have problems. Also, the debate about essential workers and the fact that they have wages that sometimes don't even are not enough to uh, make ends meet at the end of the month. So it is kind of sparking a discussion on important matters. And I think a lot of people are actually questioning you know their ways so some people might wake up some people might you know even understand what others are going through and maybe i don't know feel solidarity but i also believe that a lot of of people will not care they just want to go back to their regular lives they don't have this i don't know like strong perception of the risk connected to climate change because they see it as something that is either a hoax you say a hoax right hoax yeah hoax or something that you know is so far ahead that they don't care because they think it will not affect them when you say that there are some people that feel like it's a hoax and it doesn't affect them directly but i'm mm-hmm. i imagine there are a lot of people that had that same sentiment when they heard of coronavirus in China, yeah, and yet exactly. here we are. 
there's a phrase that like stuck with me mm-hmm. uh, that it's uh, it says it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. And I'm saying this because climate change is linked to capitalism. Yeah. When it comes to something is you know global empathy, um, people have less of let's say well empathy when it comes to to other to the plight of of their foreign neighbors um but at the same time you have you live in a country where during this moment if i'm not if i'm not mistaken at 6 p.m. people went on their balconies and collectively sang and played music um as a community in an act of uplifting one another just out of curiosity did you participate no or why not? I, I thought I all Italians sang. It was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the bar where they were clapping for uh, doctors and nurses. I was not not because they're not doing an amazing job. It's just mm-hmm. that it's bullshit to me because the same people that are blindly clapping on the balcony are the people who vote for politicians that in the past 20 or 30 years have gradually destroyed our national healthcare system and they have privatized it. So I think it's like a very superficial way of showing your support. So you're saying show your your actual support, get out and vote on behalf of those people in ways that would benefit them, not just clapping for them. Yeah, like inform yourself, read. Because um, like even myself, I was ignorant. Like I knew that there had been a constant uh, private, privated, how do you say that, privatizzazione? Privatization. Privatization of the national, because for those who don't know, we have a national health care system, so you don't pay for most of health care. It's not like in the U.S., uh, but at the same time, for example, the number of, ICUs mm-hmm. has dropped significantly and, you know, there has been a decrease in funds available to the national healthcare system. So we have less doctors uh, per person, less nurses and so on. Right? Okay. So I've been informing myself and reading and saying, okay, but who were the politicians that actually did this? And... Um, I have a friend of mine that lives in the same street as me, and her mother is a doctor. She's mm-hmm. a, I don't remember exactly uh, the name, but uh, the doctor that is specialized in like lungs and the respiratory system, mm-hmm. pneumologa. I don't know. I don't know the specific. So name she was at the. That is to say, she was really like at the center of the crisis because mm-hmm. this virus affects that part of your body. And she said something right. She was like, I get angry when people clap on balconies because I'm here at home afraid that my mother might, you know, she's risking her life every day. But no one said anything when they were decreasing the funds. They were making doctors' lives harder because there's less stuff. They're understuffed, so they have to work more. So, of course, the quality of their work decreases because we're humans. Um, less hospitals, less places available to citizens inside the hospital, less 
ICUs and so on, and no one has ever, you know, protested or said anything about that. No one said anything. So I don't want you clapping on your balcony. I want you to get mad and demand uh, better politicians. So, I want you to inform yourself, to read, and not just like follow this trend blindly. But then, when this is all over, who will you vote for? What will you do? And I want to just stay informed. I want to just clarify: you're not talking about the healthcare system itself. You're talking about how people vote and how those votes affects the people within of course, because that take care of us, so to speak. Have, so, yeah, have changed uh, the, the national healthcare system and each government decides how much of the yearly budget mm-hmm. is afforded and uh, allocated to, you know, the healthcare so system. You, so you would definitely, but you're all for the, the idea of universal healthcare. Of you're, course, you're, you're, so what I'm saying is that it's a right, it should be available to everyone. Mm-hmm. And you see the difference between Germany and Italy? They have one of the strongest uh, universal healthcare systems mm-hmm. in um, in Europe. Yeah. Everything is public, everything is free, everything is funded by tax. Mm-hmm. And they have how many deaths? 2,000. And the number of infected people is almost the same as Italy. Mm-hmm. But they have three times the number of ICUs per, I don't, I don't remember how many... ICUs you should have uh, per person. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly the numbers, but it's significant, significantly higher than Italy, France, Spain, and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's why they don't have as many deaths as us. And you definitely don't want strongest... the, the U.S. system. Oh my God, no! <laughs> that's a nightmare. <laughs> like every time I read news um, news articles about the U.S. healthcare system, I'm like, oh my God, it's like. I don't like the third, third world country, but that applies to your healthcare system. Sorry, but that's just how it is. No, I, I, I I'm sure you have like some like excellent doctors, and mm-hmm. you know if you have the money to um, pay for your doctor, you probably have the best technology and so on. But at the same time. The regular person or the person that doesn't have any insurance, like, what do you do? Those are your issues with the healthcare system. Well, I have one, uh, one more question. Um, <laughs> when you heard of the the lockdown, when that when when it was administered throughout Italy, um, did you have plans? for the upcoming days that were just canceled, obviously, because this took place? Um, No, I didn't have any specific plans, Mm -hmm. because as I said before, I'm a bit in a, like, transition phase, so I was not working, and, I mean, before this whole mess happened... Um, I actually wanted to take a small trip somewhere, mm-hmm. but then when things started to get worse, that was this was before the lockdown. Yeah. I just said to myself that it was, you know, better to just stay home. Also, like, um, flights started to uh, be canceled. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know, it was not the right time to, you know, go on a trip. 
So I didn't have any specific plans. Mm-hmm. My plan was just to, you know, chill, spend time with friends and family, um, look for a job, do my, like, regular stuff, like uh, trainings with my friends, going to dance classes, you know, just having a regular life and mm-hmm. plan the, the next chapter of my life. All right, speaking of the future... You know uh-huh. where you were before this happened. You yeah. know where you are psychologically in the midst mm-hmm. of all of this. But eight to ten months down the road, we have no idea where we'll be as a global population. Economies, mm-hmm. government, so forth and so on. Um, with everything that you've experienced and everything you've reflected on and talked about, once we've on, once people are on the other side of this, we may or may not um remember our mindset when when we're past this to make sure you remember and to make sure uh you continue to to carry these lessons with you forward what would you say now to your future self 8 to 10 months down the road what advice or what hmm. memories would you share that's a good question you know, I think that it's it's a, an opportunity to build something new. I don't know what new will entail, and I don't know what role I will have in it. But it's definitely an opportunity, and you know, I think we we can all have a part in in doing that. I don't want to be passive. That's what I'm saying. Gotcha. I want I want to be proactive. 